mechanical engineer turned crypto trader turned content marketer, Sashin has always been inquisitive about various topics ranging from finance to technology. An avid researcher from a young age, he achieved early success. Oh, geez. Um, off to a good start, Sashin. Um, he achieved early success in the construction sector in the Middle East. And in 2018, he deep dived into the crypto market and took a keen interest in charting and technical analysis. Uh, today, he is the marketing manager and head of Center for Excellence at Goodman Lantern, a company that I also do some work for, uh, a UK-based B2B content creation company. Welcome, Session. Um, I'm very happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Megan. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for the wonderful introduction and really looking forward to this conversation. Sure, me too. Um, could you maybe let's kick it off? Uh, I know that we have done the, uh, well, let's just say I, I messed up the intro. Um, so maybe no, you could right. just run us, run, us, run us through a couple of uh, pointers about yourself, a brief overview of what it is that you do. How yeah. you ended up doing it, and then how long you've do how long you've been doing it, why you do it, etc. Yeah, sure. So, born and raised here in Kuwait uh, to an Indian household, uh, very conservative Indian parents, as um, is an expected situation. So, I did my schooling in Kuwait. I did my university in Australia and Melbourne, actually. Um, and uh, then, after finishing my mechanical engineering, I got a scholarship actually to do a PhD. And that's actually where my content journey actually started. So I published four papers uh, in fluid mechanics that were conference papers, which I presented in Singapore, South Korea, and also in Australia. So that was my first, uh, let's say, uh, encounter with content creation. And I always loved research, innovation, always like to question things. Um, always was inquisitive, curious about the things that are going on around uh, so that uh, is where sort of I thought, yes, I can probably uh, get into the research field, which uh, sort of laid the foundation of me asking um, the why in everything that I do, the why in everything that's happening around in the world, uh, and even with like close friends and family. Uh, after that, uh, so I didn't complete my PhD. I uh, then ventured uh, into my family business here in Kuwait, which was uh, to do with construction. And um, I, I worked in that for about 10 years. Uh, then in 2018, I got introduced to crypto and to Bitcoin, which may seem quite late because uh, it, I was probably 10 years late. But yeah, uh, everyone has their uh, time when they get into especially the crypto industry or they get to hear about it. Uh, and then uh, I uh, immediately obviously like started asking questions, uh, started to uh, trying to understand what the crypto market was all about and uh, the way it has been set up and what are the key features basically inside it. And uh, I got into content creation in crypto uh, where I was doing content creation for myself and for other customers as well. And within uh, 18 months, COVID hit. Right. And we all went into lockdowns, you know, the whole story. And that yeah, was yeah. A, that was a golden time for content creation, for marketing, especially in the crypto industry. And um, with the uh, global and the local government policies that were there, uh, it a, a lot of people actually got into it uh, because you had obviously all the content that people were consuming suddenly just, uh, let's say, 
was limited to their living rooms and to their rooms, uh, to their homes, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, I also capitalized on that, got actively on to social media and uh, started doing a lot of different types of content creation, learned a lot of things uh, online. And in the beginning of 2023, I um, uh, was honored to be invited as the head of marketing for Goodman Lantern. Uh, and uh, in May of this year, uh, the CEO of the company decided that we need to innovate. We need to adapt to new market trends. So we developed a center for excellence and I'm heading that as well. That's me in a nutshell. Sure. It's like uh, quite quite a CV you've got. Um, and I, I, I hear you say that you, you're always interested in asking why. Why are things happening in the world? So why are things happening in the world? <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> uh, that's that's probably like about forty podcast episodes on its own. That's true. But, well, uh, I think yeah. <laughs> I think more than that, especially if you inject religion into it. Like, why am I here? What's my existence? Uh, you know, uh, going to do for the others? Yeah, that's going to be like four thousand podcast episodes. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I had a very. Uh, I I was actually quite lucky, and probably the people of my generation were also uh, lucky in the sense if they. Uh, were able to see what was actually happening. So I started off in construction in 2006, right? Uh, so that was a family business, actually. But um, th that was actually the time when there was literally free-flowing money in the world, right? And you may you may think of places like Europe, places like the US, or places like China, where, you know, uh, we, we are actually... Um, we, we get to read a lot in the uh, mainstream media or the large publications about how banks were literally just throwing money on people. And you, you must have heard of ninja loans and things like that, where mm -hmm. anyone who was an immigrant into these Western countries, they were without having any income, any background, any clearance, any credit checks, whatever, they were able to get home loans because we were supposed to realize this big dream of being homeowners. So, you know, mm -hmm. it was a very similar thing in the Middle East as well very similar there was absolutely free market uh free money flow going on and while i was a young engineer i was able to actually secure a very large order for the company which was worth millions of dollars for the renovation of a five-star hotel here locally and i was not even 25 years old at that time so wow. uh, yeah so the the problem with that actually uh, it it was so much it was so wow at the time when it was happening but after that while that boom time was actually going on. Everyone actually thought that whatever they could touch would actually turn to gold. Come 2007, these major banks start uh, hemorrhaging money. They're not able to back up the deposits. They start having problems. And we know in 2008, September, Lehman Brothers collapsed. Everything mm. went absolutely crashing down. Those people who thought that they could touch something and turn it to gold, they could not even touch something and turn it to copper, right? So it was just <laughs> completely, it was completely gone. So when when you start in that euphoric atmosphere and you actually start feeling, wow, I am this young 25-year-old kid and I am the greatest and I can really do this and all, it was actually, I was just a speck of dust riding on an extremely large wave that was falsely created by some of the smartest people in the world sitting in one city of the world which was new york right so mm. if, if 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 you if you can see that 
you have to be smart enough to go to the next question as to why this happened, right? The why is really, really, really critical. So what I understood after shortly after that, let's say in 2009, I understood that short-term euphoria always leads to medium-term anxiety that eventually leads to long-term distress, right? Mm. And that's always, that that's sort of how it happens and that things are actually cyclic. That And why or how could the smartest people in the world get this absolutely so long, so wrong, right? So if anyone out there has not seen the movie The Big Short, I really recommend them that they should actually go out and see it, especially uh, those people right now who are, let's say, in their mid-20s, just starting out either in family businesses or in some other businesses or as employees or bankers or lawyers or financiers, insurance, you know, you know, in all of these sectors or any other sectors, because everyone, after they get a bit of experience, they're like, okay, I can be an entrepreneur. Let's let's give it a shot. And some people, mm. uh, you know, actually who, who can actually take it to the to the long stretch, they actually become successful business owners. So everyone should go and actually see that, especially for the people that are in their mid-20s, because when the 2008 crisis was happening, they were toddlers, they were less than 10 years old, they really don't know actually what happened, right? So that movie gives you an overall glimpse of actually how greedy the market was, how uh, whatever could actually go wrong went wrong. Nobody actually wanted to be called out a a, a a a detractor from the system that had been set. It was a river of free flowing cash, apart from a few people mm. that have been shown in that movie, which is very, very realistic, right? So the why is really critical all the time to us. We must always ask that. Otherwise, we're going to be slaughtered like so many mm. people did at that time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I haven't seen the big short myself, but I've seen a couple of documentaries about the 2008 uh, crisis. And, yeah. you know, here in South Africa, we uh, we got a, a ratings downgrade. We're, we're always getting ratings downgrade. And um, yeah. it was quite interesting to see that uh, the, the people in charge of these so-called ratings like S&P and um, yeah. Moody's, Moody's, S&P, yeah. Uh, S&P had a, a, a massive, um, they played a massive part in the, the 2008 crisis, if I'm, if, if I'm remembering correctly, because uh, right. they, they were kind of backing up and, and giving, uh, you know, A gradings to all these, these loan, um, loan facilities. Um, yeah. And then the whole the whole market crashed. So, you know, yeah. they've downgraded South Africa. I think we're subgrade. Um, sub-investment grade now yeah. uh, as, as an economy. But, right. uh, you know, do we really take them too seriously? Because look what they did. Um, yeah. You know, they, they played parts. So, so why are we taking these ratings agencies so seriously is, is my, my point in, in that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously the investment grade uh, money that's out there, which is in the billions over billions, yeah, they have obviously set up this infrastructure, this system, right? So they always look at these rating agencies, they go for AAA bonds, AAA assets, and the 2008 financial crisis was a mortgage-backed security crisis, basically. That And mm. the, the basic premise, if you also see in the movie, was who doesn't pay off their mortgage, right? Everyone pays, pays off their mortgage. And that basic question should have been answered what if everyone doesn't pay off their mortgage? What is going to happen then? And that's what exactly happened, right? Banks, they mm. ended up and ended up losing, I think, 70 to 90% of their capital was completely wiped off over the, over, the, over the few years from 2007. And I think the market bottomed somewhere in March of 2009, six months after Lehman collapsed. So yeah, that was a very harsh lesson. But the problem with harsh lessons is that the generation that went through it only learns it. The next generation actually does not. 
So the next generation mm. now, like I said, people in, in their mid-20s or, or, or let's say late 20s who were probably teenagers at the time, they didn't go through that. They need their own pain. And I reckon their own pain is actually setting up right now. And something like that is actually coming once yeah, again. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I mean, um, there's at least once in a generation that goes through. I mean, yeah. okay, the 2008 was the big one. But I mean, we've had COVID pandemic, which also hit the, the global economy quite badly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, well, we go through some trauma every few years in South Africa because we're right. so volatile. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, you, you, it's never going to be plain sailing. There's always something. And um, I don't know yeah. if you've read the book, um, The Black Swan. Uh, it actually talks oh, no, no, about these yet. kind of uh, yeah. th- these kind of uh, out of left field events that no one predicts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I've derailed this conversation quite spectacularly. No, right. So all good, Megan. All good. Let's let's chat about um, your your career, and uh, obviously you you've kind of taken some interesting turns from mechanical engineering and construction, and now you're in the world of crypto and Web three and AI. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's dive into some of that. Um, uh, from a personal perspective, how do the principles and analytics skills you gained in the construction business inform your approach to the crypto market, especially because it's always evolving? Yeah. Okay. So uh, while I did my mechanical engineering, one thing that most engineers are looking for is to do things simply, thereby increasing efficiency. That's the whole premise of engineering, right? How, what tools can we use to do a particular task so that we can do it in the shortest amount of time, spending the least amount of money, getting the most amount of experience and having the maximum output. That's literally in Mm. a sentence, the essence of engineering, right? My nature being inquisitive about things. And like I said, started in the euphoria of 2006, then going into the global financial crisis there. So the, the idea was that, okay, what actually happened smartest people in the world crashing the market okay so there's something called risk management Mm. right risk management you only learn once that risk can affect you adversely you can read as many books about it you can go through as many exams as you want but you don't actually understand risk until it's actually on your neck because you don't know what sort of person you are until that risk actually makes you realize that okay you're going to have a loss actually on this Mm. so risk management was something which was very very critical and i didn't actually realize that until I saw the crisis unfolding in front of my eyes. Like I said, very lucky to actually having seen that. And mm. then, I, then I started to look at the construction sector completely with a different lens. And I realized that I need to know everything what's going on completely in what I'm doing and having the realization that even after I know everything or try to get to know as much of information in the construction sector as possible, there's still a threat, a possibility, probability, let's say, that things will actually not work out, right? So mm. what 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 would, so, so then I was like, okay, from like when I went into the crypto market and I stood with a blank screen in front of me and I said, okay, what, was the basis of construction. What is the basis of any construction? It's the blueprint. It's the drawings that we make as engineers, right? Once you have the drawings for a particular service, for a particular section, you can start constructing the building. You can start putting the services inside. You can look at the interaction as to how it is. So I was like, okay, so why did the 2008 financial crisis happen? So it happened basically of the news of the rating agencies that we spoke about. So what was it that people actually weren't probably looking at and what do I need to look at? I said, okay, blueprints in construction industry 
directly translates to charting in the crypto industry or in the or in any market you know it could be a stock market it could be an index fund it could be anything whatsoever mm -hmm. so i was like okay keep it simple my engineering has taught me keep it simple i wanted to just keep it simple so basically everyone either lies embellishes or let's say misrepresents things uh in the news and the 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 they are confident about the known knowns right what do you do about the unknown unknowns what do you do about the things mm. that you don't even know that you don't even know right so when you look at a chart what what the what the beauty of charting is that if if today you open the dow jones chart there you can actually go back to the crash of 1929 but would you go back to the newspaper of 1929 to see what was actually floating around at that time you probably wouldn't so i mm. got the realization okay if i'm going to enter this market i can't be looking at news all the time or can't be can't be looking at news and basing my this my let's say trading decisions based on that news uh, that's something that i actually can't do so i was like okay let's do some research always love doing research so started looking at who's who in the market what are they actually talking about very quickly or when i say very quickly like in about a year or so i filtered down that i can do the research myself based on my objectives based on my uh efforts and everything has to be based on charting and based on technical analysis so i got to actually learning that at one point i was probably uh like 12 to 13 hours in a day i was just looking at charting techniques looking at those influencers who actually taught charting techniques and that has been my transition from the construction into the crypto and my basis of how i actually treat the crypto market how i actually see it stems completely from the lessons that i learned from the global financial crisis of 2008 wow okay now you say you kind of uh, predictions and that kind of thing i mean predictions are um i don't even know how to how to put this i've recently read a book by hertz uh, gigerenzo and he yeah. uh he kind of said that like you were talking about the known knowns and the the unknown unknowns and yeah. that everything always looks clearer in hindsight and he yep. charted uh the guesswork of some of the major banks and uh you know in 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 the US if i'm not mistaken yeah. um and uh he he did a 10 year kind of analysis of what their predictions were cuz every year they predict what the market's going to do in the following year and yep. um he then asked lay people to do the same thing um yep. and uh he what what the findings of the study were basically was that the the expert economists were no more accurate than lay people just blindly guessing so Absolutely. um you know because you, because you don't know what is going to to influence so when you are looking at the the stuff that you do in the crypto yeah. market and you're yeah. charting um everything that you do i mean uh, we we can maybe just get into a little bit about crypto um in the next sure. section but uh when when you do what you do in crypto um what are you actually factoring in because there's so many things that can influence whether it goes up or goes down um yeah. How how do you kind of factor in these things that you the, the unknown unknowns if you if you will yeah yeah so uh, the way I see life it's all probability it's all numbers right there's there's strength in numbers and we have to actually believe that um, so whenever you're looking at any any particular charting technique it always takes into historical actualities in account. 
when you're listening to news, you actually, as a human being, cannot filter out the inaccuracies that were reported and what were the percentage of those inaccuracies. If I hear a news today on a mainstream media channel, I won't name names, but let's say if I, I can sort of qualitatively figure out that how much of their their reporting is accurate and how much actually is not. But mm. if I base my investment decisions on that, what if a massive event occurs that could be something extremely positive or extremely negative and influence a tweeted something that made a stock go completely sky high, right? There was actually an example of a company that was in China that was named similar to a crypto project that was coming out. And because one of the influencers was actually marketing that project really well, some of the mainstream influencers on Twitter actually started tweeting about it. And the result of that was the next day when the stock of that same named company opened in China, they were actually up like 20% wow. for, doing, for doing absolutely nothing except having the same name whatsoever mm. right so those are the kind of uh you know let's say anomalies that can actually happen so for me in terms of my charting techniques it's always a probability i know that if i'm going to enter a particular trade at this level there's always a chance that i can lose money i'm completely fine with that i'm completely okay with mm. that i am to blame but if i hear a news and actually put my money on it as human beings intuitively we want to blame somebody else oh because mm. you said it that's why that's why no i'm an adult i take accountability responsibility for my own <laughs> actions so why don't i make my own strategy out of everything mm. that i've understood everything that i filtered on why don't i make my own strategy and figure out what to do so for me it was just the 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 basic motivation to keep it simple and i understood uh charting to be that way and what could give me the most historical significance uh, and obviously history repeats itself and we see that also on charts that you know the different fractal patterns on the charts they actually repeat themselves there are mm. things that you can actually look at such as supports and resistances not trying to be too technical but yeah certain certain price levels where uh, uh, the stock or the crypto may actually hit over there and then bounce off of there so I'm very happy to play in those probabilities rather than making myself too complicated listening to a lot of people around and I'm not smart enough to ascertain what is not and what is actually good advice right so i rather mm. listen to my own advice rather than listening to somebody else so that is sort yeah. of the guiding principle <laughs> yeah, of yeah. What I thought would actually be a good idea <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah I, like i say uh you you rely on experts and experts are there for a reason but um i yeah. think that the further the, the the more you become expert in something the less you start taking kind of the macro environment into in um sure. into consideration and that sure. then starts uh affecting what what you're predicting or or yeah, your strategy sure. or whatever you so yeah um yeah just it, it a comes point sorry the whole generalist on... versus specialist thing again like find yeah. find the middle ground yeah true just a point on the experts i mean you eventually will actually figure out that there's nobody that can call themselves an expert they actually can't because the 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 attachment that we do to a word called expert is that if that person talks and i listen to that person intrinsically something valuable or something positive is actually going to happen to me but like i said mm -hmm. life is a numbers game it may happen it may not happen but if it happens unfortunately we positively attribute that change to that person's advice and then we start calling them an expert and if that person becomes right 10 times out of 10 we quickly start calling him a prophet and then that mm -hmm. person says yes uh, what i'm telling you is the word of god and that's the 
problem with actually being an expert and getting respect in the industry. And yes, there are people that have been right a lot of times, but most of the big um, businessmen, billionaires that you see, they will attribute a lot of what they do to hard work, a lot of what they do, do to be at the right place at the right times, making the right moves that are not available to all of us in terms of opportunity, depending on which geography we are in, which timeline we are in, which mm. market we are in. So I thought that the best thing to do is to rely on yourself as much as possible. So at least that way, I have the satisfaction that I'm responsible for my own failures, slap, or I'm responsible for my own success, clap, right? So yeah. that's, yeah, so that's sort of the way I look at things. That's super interesting and very refreshing. Um, because uh, a lot of people, you know, they they like to take the credit for when things go right, but when things go wrong. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I, I once, I, I listened to a podcast once, and I cannot remember, so I don't know who to attribute this to, but uh, this person was a Navy SEAL, and they right. were brought up um, that everything that goes wrong or right in your life, regardless yep. of extenuating circumstances, is your own yep. fault. Or, you know, you have to take accountability for it because even if you were influenced by outside factors or, you know, you can't necessarily help like a cancer diagnosis, but you can, your, your response is your, your responsibility. So, um, yeah, I, I, I I found that quite interesting and, um, yeah, a lot of people, I bring this up, a lot of people disagree with me, but I think that there is some weight in, in that. It's completely true, Megan. I completely 101% believe in that. If you do not actually learn accountability yourself, what are you going to pass to the next generation? Because you yeah. absolutely have no idea who you influence. There are people watching mm. you. You could be an inspiration to someone or you could be an absolutely downgraded individual to someone else, right? So people are always judging. Again, it comes to numbers, right? I may be mm. 99.3% influenced by you. I don't even know it. I'm just putting a number. Or you may be 65.4% influenced by me. You absolutely don't know it. Mm. We are not that yeah. evolved that we but that is true. At some level, you get mm. influenced by your surroundings. You get, I mean, when you when you wake up in the morning and make your bed and actually do three or four chores, like you wake up at six and by seven, four of your chores are done. Imagine how that day would go. Your day would absolutely go fantastic, right? As compared yeah. to from six to seven, if you were on social media in the morning mm-hmm. and you just mm-hmm. looked at a bit of a, some TikToks and some laughs and some giggles, that sort of day will not be productive for you at all. So everything in your environment influences you around. So why should I allow experts to influence me? Why can't I be my own expert? Why don't I have the confidence to be my own expert? I, I do. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Now, um, let's let's dive a little bit into the actual crypto and NFTs and uh, Web three. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you can um, maybe you can give us uh, a little bit of an explanation, like a layman's. Um, you know, always type into ChatGPT. Explain yeah. this as you would to like a five year old. So, yeah. um, what is what is the hype between Web three uh, or, or the hype? of web three what is the hype of crypto um because what i understand crypto to be is essentially just a glorified stock um oh. i don't see it as like a currency um yeah. so that is my kind of neanderthal brain that, that that's yeah. the information that i have absorbed um right. and uh, again we're speaking about being your own expert um we tend to kind of seek out i think it, it's called confirmation bias we, we seek yeah. out sure. information that confirms what we already know so sure. um give us the the layman's version of Crypto, Web3, NFTs, why we should care, um, and maybe throw blockchain in there as well, because that's obviously closely related to crypto. 
definitely. And you'll, you'll be getting, uh, so I'm not an expert. I really don't like that word. So yeah, whatever I've understood, <laughs> I'm, ju I'm just going to try in as simple terms as to, as to explain because I also understand things very simply. I don't like to delve into mm. the complicated. I'm not a coder, programmer mind at all, right? I'm an engineering yeah. mind. Yeah, I, as soon as I can join the dots, I'm happy with that. I don't go and zoom into the dot to see what it's all about, right? So yeah. before we understand... Um, you know, what it actually is, let's get into the why, right? So again, going back to the global financial crisis very quickly, just as soon as that happened, there was an Occupy Wall Street movement. People were mm. on the street in New York City. I think there was like hundreds of thousands of people and they actually couldn't understand what went wrong and the normal human tendency of, uh, I, I need to blame someone right then after that we saw that there were bailouts of banks and insurance companies by the governments because the whole system would have actually collapsed and this happened after lehman brothers right that bank collapsed on 15th of september 2008 and i think most of the bailouts happened like within a month or so after that so what did people actually understand what did we understand now like you said hindsight is 2020 but at that time what did people actually understand that there's a problem with centralization we cannot make these big institutions bigger, rich institutions richer, but that's how capitalism is actually, um, let's say, structured. There mm. was a need for decentralization. Why are people attracted to decentralization, Megan? Is because democracy is decentralized, right? We have this illusion that we have the power, we give our vote to a politician, and then those people come into power. So decentralization was actually the key. What was the other problem? And I'm laying the foundation for crypto in this, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just giving a story. So yeah, no, sure, sure. bear with me. Yeah. So decentralization was one thing. The other problem that people had was transparency. The news outlets, the newspapers are all controlled by these megalodons, giants who are controlling the economies of the world, right? And so where is the transparency in that? So people were like, okay, the information that you hooked me on with, with the, your YouTube videos, your TV news, your newspapers and magazines and interviews, it all turned out completely false. It all turned out completely rubbish. Why can't I withdraw my own money in a bank? I, I'm not doing any 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 sort of uh, big investments, complicated things. I'm a simple person. I've got a family of three or four um, members. I'm just earning for my kids and for my family. And why can't I withdraw my money? Where is the transfer? So transparency was absolutely very much necessary. The next step, the next important point in this was trustlessness. I want a system where trust should not be a factor. Word should not be a factor. Signing a paper shouldn't be a factor. It has to be trustless. And what I'm doing with you, Megan, that has to actually be recorded in a ledger that's visible throughout the network that you and I are connected to. Mm. Right. So that was the basic essence of Satoshi Nakamoto, what he or they accomplished. So we don't know who he is or who they are. Uh, right. Mm. It's, an, it's, an, it's a name given to the idea, to the concept of the entity that created the white paper for Bitcoin on 31st of October 2008. It was an instant sensation. And basically it uh, de-glorified the concept of having a CEO, having a board, having these uh trusted systems that need to function in a certain way. It, it, it gave away the need for um, having things done behind a 
closed door behind a room. It created an environment of transparency and security in terms of cryptography. So cryptography is basically uh, where the word crypto actually comes in. And again, I want to tell people to actually look at Big Short. They'll actually understand this a lot better after Mm. they see the movie. So cryptography is basically a technique. uh, How can I describe it? A, A technique uh, or an environment created for secure transactions to counteract bad actors or someone with bad behavior, right? This can mm. be a small person in the network that can actually get kicked out or even a very large bank who is not able to probably enter this network that has been created unless and end until they accept the rules that are, um, uh, you know, that have been crafted uh, to mm. run Bitcoin. Now, when you say that, Bitcoin could be like any other stock. So what actually happens with Bitcoin is uh, completely different to something that, let's say, happens with other metals or other things where, you know, there there is so much of inflation uh, that and it's so expensive that you can't actually get into it. So let's let's talk about gold. So like 50 years ago, gold was probably um, I can't remember now. I can look up the chart, but let's just say for argument's sake. $15 an ounce or $20 an ounce, right? Today, I think it's like $2,000 an ounce. So mm. in in the 1970s, when somebody was 25 years old, they could they could probably get into it. Today, when somebody has to buy an ounce of gold, in as soon as they get out of college, not so easy, right? So, so that point has basically been thought of in Bitcoin, where the supply of Bitcoin gets halved every four years. That's actually called halving. Right. So Bitcoin started with a certain amount of supply that Bitcoin can actually be mined. And then um, in 2012, that supply was halved in 2016. That was further halved into in May of 2020. It was further halved. And I think in the next six months is the next halving event. I think that's the fourth halving event. So the the supply of Bitcoin. So scarcity was built into this asset that is going to be scarce. And like you said, it's not it's not meant to be a currency. It's not meant to be uh, a, a, a an entity that is supposed to be transacted to uh, to to carry out a transaction. Let's say it's meant to be a store of value. It's meant to be a treasury. It's meant to be a vault, actually. And based on this vault, uh, uh, businesses can run their operations. They can give it as collateral uh, eventually in future to crypto banks that will actually give uh, you tangible money based on this as a security it was never meant to replace currencies i think that's a very big uh misconception that people have uh it's Mm. supposed to be yeah so i would uh, definitely uh encourage people to go and uh you know look at the big giants who actually hold bitcoin and look at their social media accounts and their commentary on this you'll actually see that bitcoin is supposed to be some sort of a treasury that entities, companies, people can actually hold and then borrow against that entity. Exactly how you would, let's say, do with your house. Your house is an, is an asset once it's completely paid off and then you can actually mortgage that house and you can borrow money for expenses. You can borrow money for financing a business. You can borrow money and you can purchase, uh, let's say, shares or stocks against it and you can pledge your stocks as well. So it's at that level where Bitcoin is actually going to function in the future. Okay. Um, why did they call it Bitcoin then if they didn't if it's not really a currency? <laughs> that was so <laughs> so the, the the advent of Bitcoin was probably you can you can put it up 
to uh, World War II in 1940s when Alan Turing and his entire team were, uh, let's say, given the task of uh, uh, decoding uh, the German Enigma machine, uh, which mm. was basically used as a cryptography tool for um, encrypting all of their communications, their transactions. So that probably was the birth of computers and that uh, along with the birth of computers, the the idea that something had to be created in a cryptographic manner, transacted in a manner that it's encrypted, cannot be decoded by normal people unless they actually have a key, right? Mm-hmm. So that that is um, uh, probably from where it started. So you know, a, a bit, eight bits is a byte. So I think bit was probably the. I'm, I I could be wrong, but that's how I understand it. That it's the, it's. It, they they want it to be the most fundamental thing that's actually out there, right? Like okay. like like an atom, an electron, a proton, some uh, something really fundamental. So that is where bit came mm. from, and I think coin is uh, is the word where you you basically uh, can uh, confuse that is actually a currency, right? But yeah, it was just something that was chosen. The name was put together. But yeah, like I said, it's not meant to be a currency whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, Bitcoin is traded. Uh, well, I say traded, but it's not really traded, I suppose. Um, but it's it's on the blockchain. So yeah. um, the blockchain obviously serves as a ledger and it, it provides yeah. that transparency and all that kind of thing. But yeah. uh, it's now moving away from kind of just this thing that has to do with Bitcoin, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding that Bitcoin and blockchain are um, are the same thing. I mean, they they're really yeah. interrelated, and they can't. Well, the one well, Bitcoin can't ex- uh, exist without the blockchain, but True. blockchain can exist without blo- uh, Bitcoin. True. So do you want to maybe just give us the same kind of high-level overview, fifth-grader explanation of of blockchain? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So like the name suggests, it's basically a chain of blocks. Each block that's actually created has data inside it. And the size of the blocks uh, that's actually there, it's very specific as to how much data can actually be uh, uh, input basically into it, and then you have these blocks connected. That's why it's a, it is basically a chain. It's as simple as that. Bitcoin is mm-hmm. one kind of chain. I think today, if you look at Coin Market Cap, I think there's more than twenty five thousand or twenty six thousand projects that act, that are actually out there, and all of them claim to be that they are on some sort of a blockchain um, uh, network that's actually out there. Now you have some of these that have different applications, such as one blockchain can interact with the other. Uh, uh, you know that is where transactions actually happen. And you have uh, chain manipulation as well that where, let's say, some of the nodes that are actually bad, uh, the whole network decides that these blocks uh, will not be included in the chain so they can actually fork out and you can have things like soft forks and hard forks where the, where the, where the backbone that is actually good, that actually continues into a new chain. So it's like railway tracks, mm. right? So the, the track down the road is actually uh, it's actually broken. So then we have to construct a new uh, a new track uh, out over there. So that in in a in a very, let's say, layman's view is what blockchain is actually all about. Uh, the entire uh, set of blocks that's there, the whole network is able to see it, the whole network is able to view it, and all the transactions are, that are actually recorded on the ledger, they can actually be tracked online. So if you have, uh, let's say, if I give you a transaction and you have my wallet address, you have your own wallet address, and let's say it's the Ethereum blockchain. So you can go mm. to etherscan.io, uh, I believe. You, you can go over there and you can actually put 
my wallet address to see uh, a particular transaction that's actually come to you and whether it's, it has come to you or not and how how long it's actually going to take. So there is there are people, there are, uh, let's say, nodes on the network that I have to actually confirm the transaction to say that, yes, uh, my address actually belongs to an ERC-20 address on the Ethereum blockchain, yours is too, and the transaction can actually happen between both of them. If we put the ro wrong wallet addresses, for example, transaction will not happen and that money will be lost in outer space, which which happens quite uh, quite regularly. So oh, wow. it's it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's, so it's sequenced in blocks. Information is in there. Uh, uh, transactions can happen extremely quickly. Like for, just uh, to give you an advantage of a blockchain network, if somebody has to transfer uh, 20 Bitcoins worth of money, which is today close to like half a million dollars, if they have to transfer in over the Bitcoin network, it'll take a few minutes and it's actually done. Mm. Right, but if if yeah. I have I sitting in Kuwait have to if if I have to transfer through a bank half a million dollars to you in South Africa, I'm going to be called by my bank. I'm going to be called by authorities. I have to give proof of where I earned this money from. What I blah 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 blah. And then when you get the money, you probably were happier without the money, right? Uh, because once <laughs> once once you get the yeah. money, the, the authorities <laughs> in South Africa are going to call you. Who's Sachin? Why is he transacting with you and all of that? So the blockchain technology gets rid of this middle. Um, middle, let's say, entities that are more adversarial than supportive, right? Mm. I can delete it on, I have a wallet, you have a wallet, I have Bitcoin, you need it, you give me fiat or you give me some other token, let's say I give you Bitcoin in exchange for any other token that's out there, right? Uh, which could be a BNB, for example. So you give me BNB, I mm. give you Bitcoin. Your transaction to me happens on the BNB blockchain. My transaction to you happens on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's so simple. So that simplicity and that the the fees that's actually there. So if I do a half a million dollars transaction to you sitting from Kuwait to South Africa, maybe my bank will charge me 3%. And then I lose mm. on the ex exchange rate as well. Maybe the South African rand devalues or, you know, mm. goes up in value against the Kuwaiti dinar where I am, right? So all those risks are taken out by Bitcoin. So if I transact with you or if I transact with a person in El Salvador, if a person in Canada, Bitcoin remains Bitcoin at the end of the day, right? So we have to look at it from that value of Bitcoin and not look at it as to what Bitcoin is worth today in dollars. It's that Bitcoin. Mm. 20 years later, if I have 0.1 Bitcoin in a wallet, it'll remain 0.1 Bitcoin. But 20 years down the today, if I have $1,000 in my account, 20 years later, I, with that $1,000, I probably can buy like maybe a pair of shoes. Like today I can mm. buy 20 pair of or 10 pair of shoes, let's say with $1,000. But yeah, so that devaluation that happens in fiat currency, that devaluation is not actually there. And that is basically the essence of having uh, Bitcoin on a blockchain. Okay. Now, um, we're talking about decentralizing and, and all that kind of thing. And I know decentralized finance, um, I've written quite a lot of content on um, courses, to, you know, for, for economists to, uh, to look into or to study de decentralized finance and see its impact. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, just to, to kind of loop that back, you mentioned yeah. um, that democracy and capitalism, etc. I don't yeah. know if any country in the world is actually democratic because you cast your vote and essentially um, the, the winning party becomes an autocracy for four years or five years. Um, there's not cool. really, uh, you know, our current government doesn't necessarily represent my specific interests, which cool. is what I understand a democracy to be. So anyway... Right. Um, you decentralize. Oh, let me let me just uh, rewind quickly. So you've got governments in charge. 
they have regulations. Regulations are there to obviously regulate the flow of money and make sure that, you know, it's not all going to where it shouldn't be going. But yeah. you've now got this voted for autocracy controlling um, the, the purse strings and, yeah. and putting those regulations in place. Decentralized yeah. finance, for example, now takes care of that. They get rid of all of that regulation. But is that not a, a problem in terms of, you know, like corruption and people doing dodgy things on the dark web? Um, you know, regulation has been put in place, obviously, to kind of try and limit those things. So yeah. where does the uh, where where's the balance between getting rid of so much regulation and yeah. actually being able to transact freely versus like complete chaos and bedlam? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's a that's a very good question actually. So okay. So from uh, let's let's first talk about an individual level, then we'll talk about a community level, right? So from an individual level, I first have to figure out what am I trying to actually achieve as being part of the decentralized finance network, right? So I'll give you a bit of my background. So I actually come from a village in India and where all my a lot of my extended family members are and that village uh, is not very well developed uh, it's a village of about 5000 people most of them are let's say my extended family so for me somebody who has that privilege of understanding all these concepts and being in this market right what can what does decentralized finance do for me directly decentralized finance particularly for me would uh, probably just mean a few transactions that I do. And uh, in the um, framework that is existing today, so I go on a decentralized exchange like Coinbase or Binance, I can op open my account anywhere. And then I, I do a couple of transactions uh, with somebody else who's there, or I do some trading, which could be day trading, swing trading, long-term trading, investing trading, whatever. But what is the deeper picture for somebody like me? I can actually use decentralized finance and I can take this, take this to the entire village that's actually over there. We don't have a bank in our village. We have to go to the next village, which is much bigger, has 10,000 people. That's where a government bank is. The government has not mm -hmm. even opened a bank directly in my own village, right? So for me, at a personal level, decentralized finance is a great understanding. It's, it's, a, it's a great concept to understand and it can be used to do certain transactions. But I, as a person who can actually, um, let's say, encourage others to join the system, it can actually empower people at the grassroots level. Right. And mm. in India, that's actually happening now. You have the small street vendors and they have a QR code and then you scan your phone and then immediately money is transferred from the account of a person eating a plate of a plate of food. And that that money is directly going to the other person's account. Right. Straight away. It's like contactless pay completely. So the the essence of all. All this, all this new technology has to be at the end of the day to help the poor people who don't have that much education, opportunities, knowledge, or the the time to actually sit and read and understand all of this. Because for them, it's like, okay, today I had food for my family. Where am I going to get food tomorrow? Right. So mm -hmm. like you said, and I also believe that government, of course, helps you to a certain extent by continuing on the infrastructure, continuing on the facilities that were actually provided by the previous governments. But in many cases, if an opposition government comes, they try to undo and unravel a lot of good mm -hmm. and bad, whatever the previous government has actually done. So what actually happens in, in this scenario is that we have to realize that we are responsible for ourselves also. And obviously, a big part of that has to be gratitude. You give back to the community and you 
you actually teach them, you actually tell them, look, it's very easy to actually do this. And from a farming point of view, let's just say that this can also actually be done where you can actually bring the market to a vendor and the vendor who is a farmer can actually sell his produce directly to the market that's come to his doorstep instead of appointing him a smaller middleman who sells to a bigger middleman who sells to a wholesaler who goes to a retailer and then by the time the money crawls down to the farmer he gets like 25 cents on the dollar yeah right yeah so yeah so we have to at the end of the day understand that uh, I've, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling quite a lot in the world. So I've actually seen poverty very closely, right? My father mm -hmm. started from very humble beginnings as well. So I uh, have that sense that, okay, I'm learning all of this, of course, to teach my own children. So I have four kids, so I, I obviously want to teach them. But at the same time, take this message also to those people who really will never have the opportunity that I had in my life. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, we're going to change gears here um yeah. because uh we went down a really random um rabbit hole there so um i'm going to i'm going to change uh, and, and let me just say that the conversation got quite heavy there so um yeah. let's let's change gears um so from your experience as a content creator it, it yeah. spans from creating kind of digital content like websites and and yeah. documents to um I, I think you you've even uh, dabbled in stuff like uh, nfts Yep. Um, so how do you see the nature of content creation changing in this Web3 ecosystem? And obviously, right. like AI is like coming in, generative AI uh, yep. is coming into this picture as well now. So oh, yeah. um, how, how, how do you see it changing in, uh, in the kind of near future? Right. So let's quickly delve into Web2, right? The problems that were there actually with Web2. So Web2 basically is um, a platform like YouTube, right? There are people that are creating, uh, let's say, content, and we are actually consuming. So there, there's there's a, a clear difference between those people who actually have the 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 the, the, the tools, the will, the uh, ideas to actually create content, uh, and then most of the people are actually consumers. The problem mm. with that eventually, what happens is that there is a high entry barrier basically to that and the content creators and the content seekers are definite are let's say influenced or at the mercy of the platforms that they actually use um and let's say a particular uh channel that's there on youtube that doesn't let's say align with certain policies or let's say starts creating content that drifts in the direction that the platform doesn't want they can get deplatformed very easily as we saw in the 2020 presidential election that, that was actually happening mm. at the time, many of known names, known faces without taking names, they actually got deplatformed. Uh, data security is another concern that that is there with Web2 platforms. Copyrights is another concern. So what actually is happening in the Web3 platform, right? So the keywords there basically are, let's say, data protection, there's data security, there's a decentralized uh, management of identity. Right. So the Web3 uh, uh, network actually knows exactly who you are, what assets you have actually created. Those assets, assets have your, let's say, watermark on there and um, you are. Uh, you, you can, uh, uh, I mean, the, the asset ownership can actually easily be tracked over the NFT uh, blockchain that's actually out there, which is why the Web3 and NFT industry is uh, has seen a rise of digital art digital collectibles uh, there's even digital real estate you know there's um, mm. uh, obviously 
um, uh, um, you know, a need also that the creator who has actually created this is without having a middle person getting maximum value for uh, the concept that they have created or for the portfolio which they have actually created. So that gives a lot of clarity in terms of copyrights. It gives clarity in terms of who is the real owner and you can convert real world assets actually uh, into uh, non-fungible tokens which are NFTs and you can actually trade them across that network in a very, very secure way. Uh, again, cryptography comes into the picture. It's a blockchain. It's recorded forever. And imagine creating a Web3 platform where content creators and content seekers, I actually did a white paper for a client on this. So you can have a platform where you can have content seekers and content creators actually onboarded onto that platform right mm -hmm. and that platform allows both of them to actually interact with each other directly and they are the whole uh, giving of quotations and purchase orders and deliverables and time tracking and everything is tracked actually on a blockchain on that platform so you very quickly sort out the non-performing actors versus the ones who actually want to perform now compare this mm -hmm to something like Fiverr or something like Upwork, where any there's such a high entry barrier for somebody who's new, where your career there can, can't actually progress if you don't have reviews, if you don't have five stars on everything. And that could actually be such a such a big problem. So these are some sort of challenges that, you know, Web3 actually takes care of. And I would say the last one is a collaboration spirit because there's so much of transparency on this. And, uh, you know, the person actually putting in the effort knows that they actually cannot get, uh, you know, the short end of the stick when it comes to getting fair value for the content that they actually create. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned copyright, and um, obviously now with Gen AI or generative AI, um, the uh, copyrights uh, and licensing and all that kind of thing starts coming into, um, into play because generative AI, most of them scrape the, um, scrape the internet. And uh, when you ask it to write something, it's not, it's not, not necessarily plagiarism because it's not copying word for word, but it is uh, it's generating that content based on its knowledge that it's been trained on, which is sometimes copyrighted um, uh, content. So, um, you know, in terms of content creation on Web3, um, is this all going to kind of be taken care of? You mentioned that the, the Web3 is kind of weeding out the, that kind of issue, but... Yeah. I mean, like open AI has discontinued if i'm if I'm open to correction yeah, but I, I believe yeah, that yeah. they've dis discontinued there has this been written by AI tool. Yeah. So how is this all factoring into copywriting? Um, is Gen AI going to eventually be phased out of web uh, of content creation? Um, how how I mean it's it's kind of a mess at the moment in terms of um, yeah. AI gen AI uh, content creation. Um, copyright issues, uh, uh, ethical use of AI, all of that kind of thing. So how, how do you see this developing in, in future? Right. Okay. That was a so, very, very garbled question. Sorry, I hope that you got no, the no, gist of it. <laughs> I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. No. So so the the keywords over here that we want to actually understand are uh, when content creators are creating content, who has the ownership? 
is this content actually um, uh, can, can can it be shared under fair use norms, right? Uh, is it in the private domain or public domain? Uh, what would be the licensing required in order to publish this content? What sort of permissions would the author give to others? Uh, you know, therefore, just as an example, you're going to put up this podcast on your YouTube channel. If I want to request mm-hmm. you that I want to put the, put this up on mine, I obviously have to ask you. Right. And mm-hmm. it has to be in form of a documentation and we're going to sign it and it's going to be all of that. And we have trust that you're a good actor. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm also a good actor. Right. So that trust, trustworthiness is has to be there in a generic system. Right. And mm-hmm. th- when we when we talk about uh, Gen AI, then we are we are obviously concerned about plagiarism. We're concerned about attribution of sources. We're concerned about, OK, are there any norms and regulations or let's say legal precedents that's been created in order to uh, attribute exactly where this actually came from? Because this could actually, uh, let's say, take um, pieces of 20 paintings and put it together. Right. And mm. these paintings could be a Van Gogh, it could be a Vinci, it could be, uh, you know, Picasso, it could be anyone. Right. And it mm. put all of that together and that could actually sell for, let's say, $400 million. Then what do we do then? You know, so mm. there are ethical considerations with AI, definitely for sure. I definitely feel that regulations will come out. I think recently the US ha- um, has proposed to create, uh, to creating uh an agency that is particularly going to look at artificial intelligence and its networks uh so Mm. that agency has to definitely get developed as normally what happens in the world whatever the uh the us is doing the whole world then tries to copy it the second one is the european union i think after that uh you know will be the african union and the asian countries will actually come over so everyone towards when, when it comes to use ethical use of generative AI and the regulations, everyone is looking towards the United States to actually take lead in this. So yeah, when 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 it comes to Gen AI, we, we obviously have to have the same rules that we understand as a democracy, right? So it has to be obviously decentralized. Ownership has to be very clear. And if one owner is changing to the other on the blockchain, it has to be clearly um, secured that the, the 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 creator was number one and then it has gone through 10 owners. Now it's with the 11th owner. And what is the fair use actually of this? Is a licensing fee there uh, for this? All those contractual obligations have to definitely get sorted out uh, when it comes to generative AI. The most important one being ethical considerations that have to be written down eventually into legal precedents. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, when it comes to Gen AI, I mean, we're not going to go into kind of model decay and all that kind of thing, um, but generative AI has basically taken over the internet. People are using it as a, uh, which is not, what I don't believe that it was created for, you know, please write a 5,000 word blog on X and it spits out this thing. So that's, I don't, but but that's what people are using it for. And they're using it very much to create content and um, for, for their content media, uh, their their social media platforms, et cetera. And you can start seeing because you can, uh, like if you say, please write me a LinkedIn post, there's a specific format that it follows. I mean, you can spot AI generated content, But yeah, yeah. but Mm. um, now just to kind of link this back to something that you were saying about um, you've developed this kind of sixth sense to discern fact from like fiction, I suppose, fact from alternative fact. 
uh, to use modern day terminology. But um, you you say in your LinkedIn profile that you you are very much about the importance of being updated daily on the happenings in the crypto world through various social media platforms. Yeah. Um, how are you kind of navigating this world of um, AI created content? Like, how do you discern credible information from the noise, um, yeah. especially in a market like crypto, because it's very volatile? Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, with people using Gen AI to uh, to create ever devolving content in, in terms of its value, you know, how, how are you kind of dis- discerning the, the fact from the alternative facts? Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, the comment regarding Sixth Sense. So my Sixth Sense only works for me. I'm not a preacher at all to anybody else. Yeah, sure, I, sure, I, sure, sure. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone has their own Sixth Sense that they must actually use. I completely trust my Sixth Sense, right? Because I feel mm. that it completely works for me. Now, when, when it comes to actually uh, looking at uh, good, uh, reliable content versus the content that actually would be just garbage. So good judgment comes after a lot of bad judgment, right? So <laughs> it, it happens that to me as well that that good judgment came after losing a lot of money right by by listening to some other people and that basically came down to two simple action points number 1 record everything that you feel has some sort of value that you can uh, extract the juice out of and secondly create a system that is based on your values because at the end of the day uh, anyone that is an accomplished trader that that you that you will listen to. Uh, I'm 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 not actually one of them. I'm an amateur trader, but accomplished traders who actually uh, do fifty to hundred thousand dollars worth of trades in a day, or even more if they're part of an institution, uh, they mm-hmm. will actually tell you that if you make twenty thousand dollars on a trade, don't be happy. If you lose twenty thousand dollars on a day uh, on a trade, don't be sad. Right? You have to keep mm. your temperament completely flat. And that's sort of how I keep my temperament, not only when I'm trading, but also when I'm looking at news. Right, So I'm able mm. to actually see, okay, this person is actually uh, not giving the information that I'm looking for. This person is giving me the information that I'm looking for. So I actually went through more than 300 influencers over the last five years that I've actually listened to or accepted or listened to and deleted. Right. And I don't go back to mm. them actually again. So there is no shortcut formula. There, it is a lot of hit and trial. You, it's a little bit like Edison found 2000 ways how not to make filament of a bulb. It's a little bit like that. Mm. You have to just go through the whole process yourself. And then the entire market is, of course, volatile, but it is how you handle that volatility. For example, if there, mm. if there, there was a crypto market crash that happened in March of 2020, the Black Swan event of uh, COVID-19, it was the 13th of March early mm. morning in Kuwait. It was the 12th March evening in the US. And there, a Bitcoin actually was, I think, if I remember, in the third week of February, it was at $10,500. It crashed down to like $3,800. So people who are not actually prepared to put money when it actually happens at that time, they, are, they, they, of course, miss out, but they have to learn from that experience, right? But people who mm. actually ended, ended up putting money at that time, from March of 2020 till April of 2021, Bitcoin went from $3,750 to $64,000. On the 12th of April 2021, mm. it was at 64000 I think somewhere in the first week of November, it was at 69000 So it's you mm. have to obviously have a system. You have to record everything down because you have information bias in your brain. Right. New information mm, is mm. like the new layer of paint over old information. New information could be as brown as 
S H I T. But old, 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 old information could be so valuable that you actually yourself are sabotaging your own thinking by painting new shit. Oh, sorry for this, but over over the old paint that's actually that was actually completely as, as valuable as gold, right? So the two points over here for mm. me are obviously you have to get get the experience, you have to note down all your experiences, and if you have to note down your experiences, you have to be updated daily. You have to go to those news channels or to go to those media outlets that actually talk about it spend five to ten minutes uh, in about ten it takes about one and a half two hours in a day note down your points compare it to what it what was there and the beauty is that if i have five years of points i can take it to something like chat gpt and say summarize everything and actually mm. filter out the points that i have actually focused over the last five years which you intuitively would never know as well right mm -hmm. you go to, you you can actually ask a large language model to actually filter that out for you and then you know that your top 10 points that you actually care about which help you to become a better trader or at least a better engager in the crypto industry yeah yeah but i mean i feel that strategy can work for anything that you're trying to better in your life um sure. and uh yeah uh just on that on that note chat gpt my favorite thing to do in chat gpt is take like a bulk text and say Put this into tabular form. It is oh, that is like man. a game. It is a game changer. It just simplifies yeah. information so freaking quickly that yeah. you're not trawling through like uh, white papers and that kind of thing to find information. It's it's just you yeah. check this information and say put it in tabular form and yeah. it spits out like the most amazing summary. It is That's like true. it's a game changer. Yeah, true, true. Um, and even even other tools that actually use live data, you know, they are. Come much much better than chat gpt so yeah there's so many tools out there now that are really changing the world of content creation if, if, not only for us that even for my kids my daughter mm. for example if, if she has to write an essay on something related to india she just goes to chat gpt i told her don't don't bother about searching in google and all of that go to something like chat gpt just ask it the question let it come out and then verify mm. those facts from google and she does that and she's 12 years old and she's using chat gpt so these yeah. tools are even for kids yeah, and that's totally no, fine to use it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but let's maybe jump into that because you yeah. do have kids. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I have to still let, let me put it this way. Um, when my grandparents were alive, I had to program their VCR, and whenever there was yeah. a power outage and the the time kind of was uh, deleted and the power yeah. came back on and there was the little flashing zeros on the VCR, then I would have to drive all the way to their house to reset the time yeah. on the VCR. Right. Now, kids are like at the age of two are able to navigate a smartphone like better than I can. And, yeah. you know, I use my smartphone all the time. So, um, yeah. you know, the, the newer generations coming up are adapt to the, the technology super yeah. quickly. But yeah. technology, I, I believe that humans are not evolving quick enough to keep up with the evolution of tech. So um, yeah. if you have got kids... Uh, let, let's structure this question in two parts. If you've got kids, how are you preparing your kids for the future um, with all this tech? And then as a set-in-your-ways adult, how can you kind of evolve faster to keep up with these changes in tech? Because like soon your kids will be out trading you on crypto and they will know more about blockchain. And they, I mean, they, they're, they adopt new tech a lot quicker than people that, you know, I like my, my comfort zone um, yeah. in terms of tech. And uh, I'm using AI a lot now in terms of content creation, but um, yeah. it took me a while to get to that level and the next innovation is going to come in and uh, I will be a slow adopter to that as well. So, um, yeah. 
how do you prepare your kids? And then how do you as an adult kind of fast track your evolution to keep up with the, the changes in tech? Yeah. Okay. So I think the number one thing has to be uh, that you have to be inquisitive about everything. You have to keep learning, right? Even somebody who is uh, even 75 years old, they have to believe that there's something new that they can learn, obviously, because the 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 world that they were born in versus the world that they educated themselves in versus the world that they first start working in is completely different today as compared to mm. 50, 60, 70 years ago, depending on their age. So I think the most important thing to teach the children is to be inquisitive, to keep asking the why, to keep learning something new every day, like go out and observe something, uh, write it down, draw it down, make a sketch, anything, record it, and uh, attribute your effort by obviously either posting it online, uh, creating uh, a digital record of it, which is very important that children actually should learn about it so that you know they can actually uh, understand that the effort that went into this, the glory uh, that comes from that effort, it belongs to them. That's very important. Mm -hmm. And as far as learning technology is concerned for us, adults, we have to just constantly keep learning, keep ourselves updated completely. We have to be completely flexible that the things that we probably learned in our lifetime, that something could be incorrect, there's always something better out there. We have to always, like how we change our clothes, we always have to be able to throw it out from our mind and try to go on the journey of learning something completely new. There's so much of inspiration mm -hmm. around us that people that are much older than us, example, uh, the guy who started KFC, he he found success at the age of 66, right? Ray Kroc, mm. the owner of McDonald's. You go to any McDonald's, you see a, a plaque on the wall saying about Ray Kroc. He was like broken, dusted literally. And at the age of 54, he bought, uh, you know, he started the company, franchised it out, bought it out from the original brothers in 1961. And you can even look at the movie, The Founder, right? A lot of inspiration over there. So, we have to always figure out that we have to be self-inspired, first of all. We have to learn in order, and we have to keep that inspiration up. And then we have to transfer those values to our kids so that very quickly they can adopt technology because with technology, they will actually learn ways how to make money, uh, which is a which used to be a taboo in a lot of households in the 80s and 90s. So the kids who actually grew up, they uh, probably did not get that much of financial education from their parents. In my case, I got zero financial education from my parents. Whatever mm. I learned, I learned. Like money was never discussed, if, whether it was less, whether it was more, how it was coming, where it was coming i mean i think i was up to the age of 15 or 16 i had no clue where my father worked actually there was had there was no discussion work was left at work home was different so i don't want that to be repeated to my kids so i teach them about money i teach them about the value of things and they obviously don't get the things that they want immediately so they have they of course have to start questioning why didn't daddy give me those things what's going on so i'm just mm -hmm. trying to inculcate that value of why being inquisitive being learning and you have to be humbled by the fact that a single brain in this world today doesn't even know point zero 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 one of actually what's actually what's happening for example if you have to talk mm -hmm. about what's happening inside the stomach of a fish we have absolutely no clue what chemical <laughs> physical biological processes and just as an example right what's actually going on inside we have no clue what enzymes, what proteins, what things actually happen. And of course, somebody who's actually studied it would obviously know about it, but us as laymen, we would not. So be inquisitive, yeah. be inspired, transfer that to your kids. That's probably the best way to uh, advance your own thinking and also to develop your kids. Is that something you think about a lot, Session, is uh, what happens inside the stomach of a fish? Because you were very, very quick to come up with that example. <laughs> just, just, just a random example. I, if, I, if, I, if I talk about 
physics or chemistry there's so many examples like what are the details of what actually happens inside a cloud right what is mm. how does actually lightning occur just as an example so how does a blade of grass actually you know uh, how, how does a seed actually convert into a tree so so mm. many so many things that we actually don't know but we have to be inquisitive you are inquisitive you get the answers and you teach your kids and you teach teach the society yeah. around you that's probably not as privileged as you like i spoke before mm-hmm. amazing Cool. Uh, we've been going for quite a while, so I'm yeah. going to um, I'm going to uh, end off the conversation with a, a quick fire round, five quick okay. questions. The first right. the first one isn't really uh, a question; it's more of a challenge. So tell me oh. something I don't know about AI or crypto or technology, something in your very vast field of expertise, and. Uh, just you don't have to even aim for the stars because um, even though I work with AI and stuff, like you say, there's literally no way that you can know everything. So um, go. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's talk about the crypto industry. Um, there are actually less scammers in the crypto industry as compared to the ones that are running our government. Oh, wow. Is there a, is there a source to back up that that's that? Uh, it's it's another podcast, Megan. Believe me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, let's let's steer away from um, from politics. Uh, I've already had yeah. uh, I've already stood on my my soapbox already in this episode. So uh, let's let's move swiftly along. Um, question number two: Is there a specific yeah. routine or thing you do um, that yeah. you believe contributes to your success? Oh yeah. Uh, always remain curious. Question everything. Do not believe something that you simply hear. Mm. Awesome. That's yeah. great advice, um, especially yeah. in the world of social media where it's uh, – yeah. um, I don't know if you had it in um, in Kuwait, but here in South Africa during COVID, people were drinking something called ivermectin, which is like a, a, a – uh, it's a, an anti-parasitic for horses. Um, oh. And someone on Facebook started this thing that ivermectin – um, can cure COVID, and yeah. uh, there was this entire black market trade of ivermectin in South Africa. So, um, yeah, it was it was insane, and there was no yeah. there's no scientific proof at all that it actually worked. Um, yeah. But it's someone cool. saw. So, yeah, always question where yeah, where true. the source of your information is coming from. Yeah, and then we had Sweden, where I think there was like no deaths, I think related to COVID, they had no vaccine mandates, nothing, I think in Sweden, if I remember, a lot of people had actually shifted there. So completely different, right, where people actually can yeah. get yeah completely influenced and take something that they are not real, that, that they don't really need to, versus a country that says, look, yeah, we know exactly what this is. And yeah, we, we're going to do this about it. And yeah, they just went about their business. Yeah. yeah, herd immunity. I think they were quite big on. Um, as soon as it became, they didn't actually go into lockdown. They they no. said let's all let's all go to the park together and infect yeah. each other. And then uh, yeah, I mean that was the best strategy in hindsight. But yeah, yeah. True. yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, question three: What do you do when you're not working? Um, like I see emails coming from you and IMs from uh, like all hours of the night and all weekend on in yeah. my email so um i don't think you ever are not working but uh in that five sure. seconds i think before you fall asleep at night <laughs> maybe yeah. <laughs> so i'm always reading i have either um a religious text near me or something that really inspires me 
um, authors that actually inspire me. So I, I don't read any fiction whatsoever. I've never have uh, because I don't see the value in taking some inputs from a story that's not real. So either I, I would be reading or I really enjoy cooking. So I would probably be cooking something um, in my free time and always listening to music. Awesome. Um, if On that note, if all the books in the world suddenly spontaneously combusted except one, what would it be and why? Okay. Uh, it has to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, that book mm. actually changed my life completely. Changed my. It taught me a lot about finance and it speaks to you in such a simple way. Um, and you can actually read it if you're 15 years old. You can read it if you're 65 years old. It's completely relevant. It's a timeless classic. Uh, and it actually really connects with those people who are very curious to learn about money, but they don't have the environment or the setup or the motivation to actually go and search and ask the right questions. Now we see with ChatGPT, for example, you give the right prompts, you get the right answer. What are those right prompts, mm. right? So this sort of triggers your mind by giving you the right prompts related to financial education. So if that one book, mm. book actually remains, we can probably have some hope that yes, the civilization will, let's say, uh, develop uh, based on the principles that are outlined there. Awesome. Final question. Um, I know that you're self-employed. I know that you are kind of uh, quite tied up with Goodman Lantern, but you've obviously got uh, you're self-employed. I mean, you're you're on contract and that kind of thing. So, what one yeah. piece of advice do you wish you'd received when you started your journey of um, self-employment? Uh, I think to trust my inner voice. Uh, a lot of times we don't actually give a lot of credit to that. We actually, there's so much of self-doubt that's actually around and that self-doubt mm. multiplies if we uh, if we hear somebody else give us a comment that we are actually swimming around within our head. So trusting the inner voice is absolutely critical in no matter whatever we do, whether it's self-employed, whether it's uh, being an entrepreneur and owning a, a millions of dollars worth of business with hundreds of people around you. So yeah, that I think on a broader point, uh, trusting the inner voice is something that I didn't do when I was younger. Uh, and uh, now is that's something that I had to learn the hard way and now I do it. Yeah, yeah. I think inner voice, it's um, it's something that needs to develop as well through, like you say, um, you know, you have to fail before you succeed. Uh, I yeah, think that sure. you need to develop that inner voice. Um, but sure. I mean, if, you, if you're not experimenting and doing stuff and not learning from your experiences, your inner voice, true. your intuition is going to be uh, undeveloped. Yeah, true. I mean, it, 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 it I think, also comes from uh, something you're born with, obviously, and the environment that's been created for you, uh, it, that has to be filled with confidence all the time, right? So mm. if, you're, if you don't actually come from that environment and you have to, like, literally like struggle and climb the mountain with your teeth then yeah it does take a lot of time but yeah many people are quite blessed to have a very good confident motivational environment uh that they actually grow up in uh and they mm. actually work in so yeah uh those people could find it early uh but yeah at some point in life everyone has to find their inner voice yeah, That's very yeah. important. Yeah. Um, I, I've just recently read, um, and funny enough, this is something that I've always said. Um, uh, I, I've always said, if you need to make a decision, you should do it by flipping a coin because as the coin is in the air, you know intuitively which side you want the coin to land on. Correct. And I've actually just read something recently 
um, that uh, that is the perfect way to actually start developing your intuition is to yeah. make decisions by flipping a coin because you don't yeah. have to look at the coin once it lands, but while yeah. it's in the air, you yeah. and that's a great way of actually developing um, developing that that inner voice. So yeah, yeah true. random. True. <laughs> no, true. That's completely right. That's completely right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, at, at the end, the message is you have to do what works for you, but you have to develop that system. Mm. You have to write it down. It cannot be, oh, it's all in my head. Uh, there are very mm. few gifted people who can play chess without actually looking at a chessboard, right? So 99.9% .9 of people are not like that. You know, those geniuses yeah. are at, yeah. at another level. But yeah, uh, we have to definitely listen to our inner voice and record everything down and then review it from time to mm. time. Awesome. Session, this has been freaking amazing. I, I could have carried on, Thank but I, I, this is obviously this has gone way longer than than most of the other the episodes that I that I do. Um, where where can people get hold of you? Um, I know you've got a YouTube channel. Um, obviously you're on LinkedIn as well. Where uh, yeah. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, but right. where where can people find you? I think LinkedIn would be definitely the best. Uh, my YouTube channel that's there, it's uh, more uh, in development along with my kids. So they give me a topic and I put up a video there. So um, obviously the most serious things, the most serious discussions happen on LinkedIn. Uh, that would probably would be the best place to contact me. Okay, fantastic. Um, and yeah, um, I, I think that we probably need to do this again because uh, I sent you the um, the scope of what I'd like to discuss, and I think we only covered about half of it, and we went down some quite interesting rabbit holes. So yeah, um, yeah I, I think that there's going to be another podcast in our in our Thank future. You. <laughs> Definitely, I I absolutely love this. Really enjoyed. Sorry for taking uh, so long to explain a few things, but hopefully uh, your viewers will find great value from this. And uh, yeah, I would love to absolutely come back uh, and uh, to discuss more topics with you, Megan. I, I always enjoy your company. Um, yeah, <laughs> session. And please never apologize. I, I love talking to you. So um, this Thank has been you. fun. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch up. Um, on uh, the AI work that we do together. So um, sure. I'm, thank you. Yeah. Thank Perfect. you so much, Megan. Cheers. Cheers. Alrighty. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Follow the business of podcasts on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.